would first like to thank Lois Gurney and our wonderful choir for making this day so full of joy and depth and wonder and hope. I can think of nothing that we should be doing more after Friday's terrorist attack than for them at least, the subversive act of worshiping together in freedom with who we, whom we wish and how we wish. And I would like to use that also as a plug for Thursday night where we will gather with folk of all different faiths. Think of that in any other place these days and how hard that would be to imagine. But they will be here and we will be here worshiping together even though we do not always follow the exact same tenets of faith. So thank you, choir, for this day. I needed it. This morning's passage is hard to hear at first. It's known as the Little Apocalypse from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 13. It is at first heard as bad news or dark news, but it is rather really, I think, uh, news of hope in the face of death and darkness, either personal or communal death or darkness, a message that after the Paris attacks we need to hear most desperately. So may God open up to us an understanding of this word. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, look, Look at those stones, how large they are, and how enormous those buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Later, when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be a sign that these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But this is just the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word of the Lord. As mostly secure and mostly privileged Americans, it is hard for us to really understand how this morning's passage about the apocalyptic destruction of the temple in Jerusalem could be heard as anything but awful. They must have felt it was the end of the world when the Roman soldiers, four divisions of them, tired of the Jewish insurrection, stormed into Jerusalem and began to kill Jews at the rate of 500 a day. At one point, there were 10,000 Jews on crosses surrounding the city. Their job was to squash the rebellion, to burn the temple to the ground, 
which they did in 70 AD. This temple was the iconic symbol of the time and has become since a time of complete loss and destruction. For them, the World Trade Center times 10. The scale of it blows your mind. It was a magnificent magnificent structure, 500 yards long, 300 yards wide. The walls in some places were 16 feet deep. The stones that they used, many were 100 tons. Remember, they had no machinery. They only had slave labor and hoists. This building was built over a period of 100 or so years, but mostly in the culmination of the dark King Herod's rule, who poured many slaves and much money into it as a fire escape for him or as a way to symbolize his power within the region. Since there was no separation of church and state for Israel, the temple served as the center of politics, finance, and religion. It was the capital, Wall Street, and the national cathedral in one. When it fell, the hopes and identity of Israel fell with it. In fact, as Mark composed his gospel sometime after 70, the temple had already fallen, which was the point. He was writing to a Jewish church of Christians who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, yet they were still Jewish. So the temple falling for them was just as important as it was for the Jews who didn't believe Jesus was Messiah. Besides, these Jewish Christians got caught in the middle. Not only were the Romans massacring them for being Jewish, but the radical zealot Jews who had started the insurrection and wanted to continue the fight were killing all those Jews who refused to lift up a sword. Two, from both sides, the Christians, as followers of Christ, refusing to lift up the sword, got hammered. They expected in the midst of this death and destruction for the second coming of Christ. That was the promise. Yet Christ had not come and they were beginning to despair. All they were left with was death and destruction and no immediate hope of redemption. It is in that context that Mark writes his gospel. The story in the 13th chapter is typical of disciples and us those sort of dense, bone-headed men. Uh, look, boasting, look at that temple, Jesus, how amazing it is. And, and no sooner do they boast that than Jesus, being the typical Jesus, uses the moment uh, to teach. Jesus says, well, I tell you, you think it's so large, soon all of those stones will be turned into rubble, one upon another. Even the hundred ton stones will be taken down. The disciples didn't know what to say. They, they were quiet as they walked out of the temple, out of Jerusalem, down the Kidron Valley, up again to the Mount of Olives. But after they settled, the disciples, James, John, Andrew, Peter, came to Jesus uh, and took him aside and said, tell us, when will this awful thing happen? And Jesus cautions them to be careful 
Be careful of the priests and the televangelists who think they know all the answers of why, when, and how this time will come, when Jesus will come again. He says to them, they will only lead you astray. There will be wars and terrorist attacks. There will be earthquakes and famine. The time is not yet. The magnificent temple will crumble, but the time is not yet. And then in the most hopeful words in the Bible, this is my take. This is how I interpret it. In the most hopeful words in the Bible, I think Jesus sums it up when he says, when these things are happening all around you, it's just the beginning of the birth pangs. The beginnings, yes, there's more to follow. But the birth pangs, the birth pangs, not the death pangs, not the end of the world, but the birth pangs, something new is about to be born. I, too, like to watch dystopian movies like Mad Max. But if we literally look back through history, I think we will see that out of every destruction has been some new construction. Out of every major global event has come some new era that has brought forth a new order. Certainly, the old DNA of sin and evil is still part of that new birth, which means that the evolutionary process will never create a utopia. But like the birth of children, hope is born again with each new season. This has been my personal experience, too. In my life and in the lives of many of you, when you thought your world was coming to an end, Later, when you looked back through the grief and pain of it all, you see that something new was actually being born. The grief and pain were there. We're not being Pollyannish. We're not denying that. It's still present and there. But when you look back, you see that something was being born anew. Let me be clear about this in case you might be mistaken. It is not that God causes the demise of the old. God doesn't need to. We do a right good job of it ourselves. God is not the source of this death and destruction claimed by ridiculous, radical, religious, psychopaths, any more then God is responsible for a car running off the road. To say so is blasphemy. What I'm saying is that we do not lose hope. We do not lose hope because God is the God of hope in the face of destruction and death. The God that takes all the rubble of destruction and rebuilds it into a new structure, and we confess Jesus Christ as the head cornerstone. It was Paul who said in Romans that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, 
and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. I am privileged to have witnessed the death of many members of this congregation. And in every case, yes, there are death pangs, but at the end, there is no pang. It is only complete stillness and peace. A stillness beyond still. In contrast, birth, at least the only two occasions that I have literally witnessed it, Fortunately, by the way, pastors are not invited to stand beside families giving birth in the same way that they are with families who are giving up a, a loved one. Steve, could you please get to the delivery room? Sarah is now at eight centimeters. Oh, and how about while you're here videoing this for Instagram? And while you're at it, get Sarah's face, her screaming her guts out as she pushes so we will know that, uh, so Sarah's daughter will know when she grows up of the birth pangs her mother went through to get her here. Thank goodness we're not invited into that. The point I'm making is that while death is quiet and still, the coming of new life is always violent and noisy and it seems sometimes like the end of the world when you're in the midst of it especially I am told by the mother going through it trying to go through it practicing Lamaze de Sade but it is also violent and noisy for the child if you've ever seen the cone head of a child after being born going through a birth canal a third of the size of the circumference of that child's head. It cannot be fun. It's even painful for the father in some small amount, I will say, who spends most of his time in the restroom with nervous colon issues. (laughs) Just saying. What Mark is telling us and his church through the words of Jesus is that when things seem to be at their worst When everything in our lives is going up and going down, when we face a 9 or 11 and now in Paris an 11, 13, do not despair. This may be the end of the world as we know it, but it is not the end of the world for it is instead the beginning of a whole new thing. For something new is being born. God is the God of history And out of history, God brings new things to bear. Frederick Buechner wrote, Yes, the world is full of darkness and fear, but we could point to a time of greater darkness in our world when the sun was blotted out and a hideous cry was heard. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, as Jesus breathed his last. But now we can proclaim with all the faith we have that out of that darkness came the most staggering light the world has ever known. It is the light of God's making all things new. Jesus' cry on the cross was the cosmic birth pangs of God bringing the new life of Easter into being. Friends, we have a choice to believe this and live in hope or to discount it and live in despair. 
Henry Nouwen tells that choice in this story about two twins who are still in the womb, sister and a brother, and the sister says to her brother, I believe there is life after death, and the brother responds vehemently, no, no, it's, everything that is is here now with us. But the little girl insisted, there must be something else, a place where there is freedom to move, but she couldn't convince him no matter what. After some silence, she hesitantly said, I have something else to say. You won't believe either, but I think there is a mother out there. What are you talking about, her brother said. I have never seen a mother, and neither have you. Who put that idea in your head? Why do you always want more, he asked her. This is not a bad place after all. We have all we need, so just be content. The sister was quite overwhelmed by her brother's response for a while, but finally said, don't you feel the squeezes from time to time, the, the pain? Don't you feel those? Aren't they trying to get us ready to go to another place more beautiful than this where we will see our mother face to face? Don't you think that's exciting? He never responded. choice is ours. Whether in the midst of darkness and death, God is making all things new, or it's just darkness and death. May the Spirit help us choose wisely.